0: This afternoon saints, we want to consider um, the order of worship. Um, and this sermon is probably going to be one of the more shorter sermons um, because it's really informative and it's really cut and uh uh cut and dry. It's it's not uh too technical, um, too theological, but it is immensely helpful immensely helpful, especially in light of many of you all go visiting, I'm sure have been to various churches and seeing what these churches do compared to what we do. I mean, have you ever asked the question, why do they do that? And I come to Reformation Bible Church and we do this. For example, why do some churches, many churches, have guitar players and drums and we just sing hymns? Or if you go to another Reformed church, they have a hymnal. Why do we do these things? Um, so we're gonna consider, we're gonna consider uh the order of worship. And is there to be an order for worship? Which leads which will lead into the elements and circumstances of worship. First and foremost, saints, let's consider the need for order in worship. The need for order in worship. Um if you grew up in the uh, charismatic Word of Faith church, uh, you might have heard of a book by John MacArthur titled *Charismatic Chaos*. And we may think that what was or what is happening in the charismatic church um, is a new invention. Well, the way in which things are happening is definitely a new invention. But the disorder is not a new invention. The disorder in the church that we find in the charismatic churches um, are are not a new invention. But we see in 1 Corinthians 14 a a very a model for us of how church is to be ordered. In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, we have Paul laying out how one is to exercise the spiritual gifts. How one is to exercise the spiritual gifts. Uh, The gift of prophecy, specifically, and the gift of tongues. The gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Now, I'm not going to go on a long rant. You all should know now that the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues are no longer spiritual signs spiritual gifts that are given to individuals. I'm sure you all already know that. If you don't know that, then we can talk after service. But at this time in Corinth, you have to remember that the Bible was still being written. The Word of God was still open. And people had the gift of prophecy and people had the gift of tongues. Now let's just speak about tongues for a second. What is tongues? Well, Again, I'm not going to go on a long rant on this. I did a 10-hour sermon on this a few years ago. But I will tell you that tongues is not unintelligible language. The type of things that you will hear on TBN or whatever. So it's not the close-to-baby talk that you hear. Um, It's not an angelic language that many might prescribe it to be. Tongues is a known language. Tongues is a known language. And it needs to be interpreted by one. Or else, don't speak at all. And what's happening at Corinth is people have the gift of tongues, but they are speaking without an interpreter. And Paul is saying, what's the use of using the gift if there is no one who has the gift of interpretation. What's the use of even speaking in tongues? What you are doing, saints at Corinth, is you are actually causing disorder and you are not unifying and edifying the body. For example, if you all were to come to me and speak in Spanish, without an interpreter, you might be saying the most beautiful things to me, but without an interpreter, what good is it for me? It's no use for me. Same thing happening in in Corinth. With respect to tongues, Paul is saying everything is to be done, as he says in verse 40, in an orderly manner. Again, he's speaking about worship. People have these gifts, these extraordinary gifts. And he's saying is, do not use your gifts in an un- or disorderly manner. And this goes really contrary to how the popular church thinks about the uses of even the gifts. I mean, if you want to say that you speak in tongues, um, I, I always say comically, that's fine. Just know that it's not doing anything. Like if, if you're that, if you want to hold on to, I have the gift of tongues, even if it's not, even if it's unintelligible. Well, that's fine. Just know that you're not doing anything. Um, so what we're ha- what's happening then at Corinth is very much what should be happening. In the, many of the popular churches today, is okay. You say you have this gift, but what good is it if there isn't an interpreter? But also, it needs to be done in an orderly manner. In Corinth, there was much disorder in the worship service. Disorder. Now, how, why is why would Paul say in verse 40 that all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner? As Pastor Antonio alluded to and said this morning. The best of worship is spontaneous freedom. Many might think. Because spontaneous freedom gives the best expression of what's inside of us. And what people think is, and what they do is, they correlate our emotions with the best of, you know, what we can give. Our emotions are spontaneous. Our emotions are erratic. Well, therefore, The best of worship is to be spontaneous and erratic. And we cannot make a one-to-one connection. But rather, the worship of God is always to be controlled. The worship of God is to be controlled. So why would Paul then again say, worship must be done properly in an orderly manner? Well, because our worship reflects the nature of God. That's why. Because our worship reflects the nature of God. And we see this in our text. Why is there to be interpretation of tongues and prophecy? Why can't people do their own thing? Why can't one person speak in this tongue, one person speak in this tongue without the gift of interpretation? What well, Paul says in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. If one is speaking this tongue, one speaking this tongue, that one speaking that tongue, that one speaking that tongue, no interpretation, what creates confusion? What in the world Are they saying, essentially, what is going on? So here, Paul ties worship. And we'll touch about this next Sunday afternoon. He ties worship. There's a link between worship, what we do on a Sunday, and the nature of God, who God is. Since God is not the author of confusion, our worship service should not be confusing. Essentially, that's what Sping said. The problem with the worship of Corinth saints is their worship, their services do not reflect the truth. Their services do not reflect the nature and the character of God. Again, God is not the author of confusion, but in Corinth what's happening is due to their confusion they have a disorderly service. And what Paul wants to make clear is a disorderly worship service does not promote or testify to the gospel of Christ. Now, why is that, saints? Why, why doesn't a disorderly service testify to the gospel of Christ? Well, we have to also understand that the gospel, the father saying the son was not disorderly, number one. It was not plan C. It was not when Adam fell, the triune God is in heaven trying to figure out what to do next. But we know that it was the will and the plan of God from all eternity to ascend the sun. So first and foremost, the gospel should reflect our worship service because the eternal Son was sent, not disorderly, but in an orderly manner. That's number one. But also, imagine if an unbeliever, imagine if your unsafe family member and friend came to a worship service and they came to a worship service that was disorderly, what would they see? What would they see? What they would see is not the worship that reflects the God of peace, but they would see worship that reflects the God of confusion. They would look around and say, you're offering this type of worship to that God? There must be a correlation then. There must be a correlation with our confusing worship, our disorderly worship... And the God whom we are serving. And that's what disorderly services promote, saints. Confusion. Disorderly services promote confusion. It promotes what God has commanded us not to do in Deuteronomy 12. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Friends, in a worship service, there needs to be order. For order allows us, and hear me now, to see distinctions in worship. Again, order allows us to see distinctions in worship. That is to say, we know what the call of worship is, and that is distinct from the reading of the law. And the reading of the gospel is distinct from the preached word. And the preached word is distinct from the Lord's Supper. The declaration of absolution is to be distinct from you know, the benediction. This saints is a true order of worship. When you, the congregation, you congregation should know what we are doing when we are doing it. We're doing the call of worship. We're doing now the preached word. We are doing now the Lord's supper. This is a true order of worship. Now don't get me wrong saints. Every church has an order of worship. Every single church has an order of worship. But it's an orderly, or rather it's a disorderly order of worship. We saints do not allow freedom in our worship service. Like for instance, like for instance, and I was going to mention this later, but for instance, when a minister, they go up to minister and they might say, you know what? Just hearing that song, I just scratched my sermon. The Lord spoke to me. I'm just going to go another way. That's disorder. That's not, that's not a gift of the spirit. That's disorder. Um, there are many churches that allow spontaneous things to arise in a worship service. Uh, for many churches, in the middle of the preached word, the minister might tell a congregation to begin singing. Uh, let's, let's just stop here. Let's do what's called, quote unquote, a praise break. Let's do our, let's, 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 let's do that, and then we'll get back to the preached word. Or during a worship service, when one is reading the scriptures, as they are giving the sense of the text, They turn it into a mini-sermon. Saints, that causes confusion. Preaching and then saying, you know what, Saints, let me stop. This is so good. We gotta sing to our God. That's confusing. Reading the scripture and giving the sense of the scripture, but then turning it into a ten-minute sermon is confusing. Because now you have not only one sermon, but you got two sermons. You got three sermons. This causes confusion, saints, even if it's edifying. Even if it's edifying. Every element should be distinct and we should be able to tell in a worship service what is going on. Services that are disorderly can guarantee that God's presence will not be present. Again, disorderly services can guarantee that God's presence, you meeting with God, as it was said so beautifully this morning, you can guarantee you won't be meeting with God. Now saints, why is that? Why won't they be meeting with God? Because disorder is a terrible witness and does not reflect who God is. Our worship of God must be according to St. Paul's words in verse 40 of our text. All things must be done properly and in an orderly way. That is how worship is to be ordered orderly, in an orderly way. So saints, this is the first point that we must get right. That when it comes to how we are to conduct a worship service, uh, little ones, when you grow up and if you join another church or visit another church, yes, you may ask, is this church worshiping the one true God? How do you know that this church is worshiping and the object of the worship is the one true God? You look at the order of the worship service. Is it done in an orderly way? In an orderly way. Is it done in an orderly manner? For the preaching of the word, is to be done in an orderly manner. Hold me accountable to this. Hold Pastor Antonio accountable to this. This pulpit, this stage, is not my soapbox. It's not time for me to rant on my political ideas or agendas. It's not time for me to say whatever I want to say. That is disorderly. Also, to the congregation as well, though the hearing of the word of God, the hearing of the word of God, is to be done in an orderly manner. And I know, saints, for many of us, it is quite hard, especially in the afternoon service. Um, the blood that's in your stomach, I got to do my best to get it back to your brain, and we got to try to together um, climb this mountain together. But saints, you have to understand that you're listening, which we'll get into soon. You're listening reflects, not me, but reflects the God whom you serve, the nature of God. So you, not listening, ultimately are saying, Christ, I will not listen to your words. That's essentially what's being said. But also, saints, as it was said this morning, and he agreed with me, that even, even the, the amening, uh, as it was said this morning, and I totally agree, if something is said that you amen, go ahead, <laughs> amen. That's right, pastor. But do we say in a way that is disorderly, though? Where if I say, amen, everyone looks back at the one who said amen. That's disorderly. Your amens are great, and I encourage them. I do. But all things are to be done in an orderly manner, not taking away from the listening of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God. Everything to be done in an orderly manner. Um, Amen. (laughs) Let's now consider the elements of worship. The elements of worship. We now are going to look at, quickly, the elements and circumstances of worship. The elements and circumstances of worship. Simply said, What are the elements? The elements are simply the what of worship. The what of worship. More technically speaking, an element is an essential property that something must have. So what we are saying is in a worship service, there must be certain elements in order for the worship service to be a proper worship service. So, in other words, in order for a worship service to be accurate and true, it must have these things. It must have these things. And if this worship service does not have these things... It is not a proper worship service. Now, we have to ask two basic questions in light of this. Who defines what the elements are, and then what are the elements? Let's answer the first question. Who defines what the elements are? Who tells us what the elements are? Who says what are to be the things that we do in a worship service? Well, saints, you already know the answer to that. God's word. God's word tells us what the elements are in a worship service. God has prescribed for us what the elements are in a worship service. And these elements are fixed in Scripture. And no man is to add or take away what God has fixed. We cannot add our own elements and say, this should be an element of Scripture. But rather, God has prescribed what the elements are. This is an important point. For many churches believe that only the things that edify the congregation are to be the essential elements of worship. Again, only the things that edify, only the things that the congregation likes, are to be the essential elements of a worship service. But friends, we must remember that it is the congregation that is to offer worship. The congregation that offers worship. That God is the spectator. That God is the audience. And we are the ones who give to God worship. We must not put our own edification... Before what God has commanded us to do in a worship service. Even if, even if we did X, Y, and Z and all the things that God has commanded for us to do in a worship service and we never were edified by it, it will not matter. But God and God alone cares about His glory and us honoring Him before us receiving any benefits. That is edification. We must not put our edification before what God has commanded us to do in a worship service. Statistics don't give us the elements of worship. You know, there are many churches that do that. They, they, they do a survey on, hey, what songs did you like? Hey, what, what type of, what type of preaching did you like? Was that a good sermon today for you? And so they, based off of that data, they just do more of it. And that becomes the essential thing that people do in a worship service. The amount of amens that are said in a worship service. Don't give us the element of worship. Uh, Pastors may do this where the more amens you get, you say to yourself, okay, the congregation is liking this. I need to speak more on this topic. Um, When things are going bad, I don't know what to say. I'll just say this. Um, The congregation, the things that give them the most joy and uplifted, do not give us the elements of worship. A pastor may, at the end of the service, uh, go in the back and see all the people coming out, and depending on their attitude, they might say, you know what? Whatever we did, we got to do that again. And that becomes essential to the worship service. And lastly, the things that keep the people coming back are not what gives us the elements of worship. The, pe- the things that keep the people coming back, whatever you like, we will continue to do. And based off of what you like, that becomes essential to what we do. Um, Saints, what gives us the elements of worship is simply this. Has God said, thus says the Lord. That's what gives us what we are to do. What are the elements then? What must we do as we gather together? The elements of worship are this. The reading of scripture, prayer, singing, preaching the word. And the celebration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> the worship service should incorporate each of these elements. Let me just give you some references for these. The reading of Scripture, Acts fifteen, twenty-one, Revelation one three, Nehemiah eight, eight. The preaching of the Word of God, 2 Timothy two, four, Nehemiah eight eight, Matthew chapter twenty eight, verses nineteen through twenty, Luke uh, twenty-four and forty-seven. The hearing of the Word of God, James 1:19, the singing of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, Corinthians of Colossians 3:16, Ephesians 5:19, James 5:13, baptism, Matthew 8:28:19, and the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11:23 and Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Um, I can text you all those references if you didn't get all of them. But what we are saying is saints, is the things that we do are to be these things. Now, no matter what we do, which we'll get into the circumstances, we do these things. Preach the word, sing, read the scriptures, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now you might say, "Well, there are bad churches that do that." Does that make that does that make their object of worship proper? There are a lot of charismatic churches that preach the word. They sing songs, they do the Lord's Supper? Well, again, saints, are they doing it, though, within the confines of order? Is it done orderly? But also, too, you can even add, is the manner and what is being said in the preached word, does it does it link up with Scripture? Does the songs that are being said link up with Scripture and things like that? So the elements of, of worship are to be... Um, the reading of the reading of and the hearing of the word of God, singing psalms, uh, hymn, spiritual songs, baptism, Lord's Supper, um, and the preached word. Um, and I'm doing more um, uh, study on this. You might even want to add, even in the elements of worship, a call to worship. Um, there's much debate on that, but I'm leaning towards it being an element of worship. Um but also to the reading of the law as well, and that can go under oaths and vows. But we'll get there. Lastly, the circumstances of worship. What are the circumstances of worship? If the elements of worship is the what of worship, the circumstances are the how of worship. It is the circumstances of worship that allows the worship of God to be done in accordance to what Paul says. All things must be done properly and in an orderly way. A more technical definition of a circumstance is that a circumstance is a non-essential property that is related to the element, but that can be changed without affecting the element. In other words, a circumstance is morally indifferent. It can be done or omitted. For example, the pulpit, the church building, the trays for the Lord's Supper, the microphone, the chairs, the service time, the length of the priest's word. Those are circumstances of worship. If you take away the pulpit, that's okay. If you take away the microphone, that's okay. you take away the building, that's fine. you take away the trays, that's okay. The pulpit, the microphone, the trays, the building have no religious value. And the pulpit, the microphone, the trays, the chairs, the building, as it was said this morning... They have no, inherently no religious value to them. You can take them away, but we can still have service. These are the circumstances of worship. They neither add anything to worship, so this pulpit doesn't add anything to my preaching. The pulpit's not a part of my preaching. The microphone doesn't add anything to my preaching other than for me to project my voice in such a way that you'll be able to hear loudly and clearly. The chairs do not add anything to worship. We can sit on the floor, it might be uncomfortable, but we can still worship God, essentially, right? Um, The building as well. Uh, The the building, take the building away, okay, we can go to the park, we can go to Dustin's place, or we can go to Javier's. That's fine. We can still worship God in that way. For example, praying at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. neither adds or takes away from our worship. Now, Two important distinctions, as we are coming to a close, we must make when we're speaking about the circumstances of worship. Number one, circumstances must be accord to reason and common to human actions and societies. So the circumstances must be in accordance to reason and common to human actions and societies. In other words, yes, although it it doesn't matter if we worship at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., we will not ever worship at 2 a.m., Now, why can't we have a worship service at 2 a.m.? It's unreasonable. That is why. Why can't we have a worship service at 6 in the morning? It's unreasonable. That is why. But also, too, when we consider um, how the circumstances must be common to human actions and societies, um, there are rules that govern each and every society. For example, in some parts of the world, Worship is done with the congregation standing up. In some parts of the world, worship is done with the congregation sitting down. Saints, this is the beauty of the gospel. That the gospel can be transported into every culture. That is to say, you can worship God sitting up, or standing up. You can worship God sitting down. The people that worship God standing up, or the people that worship God sitting down, That is a part of their culture. And they can do that. Because nothing says that we have to have chairs in a worship service. God does not say in his word, we are to have chairs um, in a worship service. You see, saints, the gospel can be transported into every culture. But this is quite different from something like Islam. Where in Islam, um, it seems like, matter of fact, it very much is, that all worship services must be transported into 7th century Arabia. And the way in which Muhammad worshiped, that is sitting down, the times of worship, the various things that we do they do in worship must be done in accordance to what they did in the seventh century. That's not what we're saying here. That's not what we're saying here. But worship saints. Um can be done, at least the circumstances, can be done in a myriad of ways. Now, let me say this. It is reasonable, though, within our society to have chairs. It is reasonable for us to have trays. It is reasonable for us to have a microphone to speak. That is in our society, and we all know of that. So with regard to Reformation Bible Church, the elders have chose 10 a.m. to be our meeting time. Now, why 10 a.m.? Because some of you live 20 minutes away. Some of you live 30 minutes away. Some of you live an hour away. 10 a.m. is a reasonable time for us to get to service on time to worship God. It's done done with reason. We sing four hymns rather than six or eight. Well, why only four hymns? Why not ten hymns? Why not go a whole hour singing hymns? Because of circumstances. The elders feel that the singing of four hymns is just enough because maybe the singing of six hymns might take away from the preached word. It might take away from um, our ability to to comprehend, um, but but also um, our ability to to focus on the preached word. So, saints, we have to understand that any time there's a circumstance that is being put forth, that the people of God must be in the forefront of our minds. This is where you come into play. Um, because God has not said, worship at 6 a.m. or 10 a.m. So we have to say, what's the best time we can worship? What's the best way I can project my voice so that you all can hear? The second distinction that I want us to consider, and lastly, is regarding circumstances, is uh, circumstances, again, hold no religious or spiritual value. As it was said this morning, wonderfully, the building, if we all left... And If it all you know and then hopefully it will never happen, but if it burns down, we don't just say that God burned down with the building. We don't say that. Um, if the building if we left um, and the building was, was was raided and it was tagged everywhere, uh, sure it would be um, wouldn't it be nice, it'd be something that we would try our best to remove. But it doesn't mean that we have now, they have disordered the house of God, essentially. Um, We can have worship in the park. Uh, Where the saints gather, that is where God's presence is. That's where God meets with his people. The microphone. The microphone does not aid, or microphone, it aids to my preaching, but it's not a part of my preaching. Growing up, I remember ministers, they would have the mic and then... They would, one minister would preach, you know, this 10 minute sermon or whatever he did of like just screaming or whatever. And then he would pass the mic to another minister because the mic is hot. The mic has, has some sort of inherently, um, um, spiritual, you know, something in it that enables one, when they grab the microphone to speak extraordinary words, um, The microphone has no religious value, and it will never have no religious value. The pulpit has no religious value. You might have heard there's power in the pulpit. No, there's power in the Word of God. It just so happens that the minister preaches in such a way, or he's able to explain that power, and the people see that and they amen that. But the pulpit does not have any sort of religious um, value to it. Nothing to say. I like this pulpit. I do not want a music stand or anything like that. This pulpit is convenient. It's great. And lastly, the front of the stage. The front of the stage, many of you call, I'm talking, not many of you, I'm so sorry. Many people say it's an altar. The front of the stage is the front of the stage. It is not an altar. You don't come to the front of the stage to receive any sort of extra glory or anything like that. You don't come to the front of the stage because God's presence uniquely dwells here. The only person that's dwelling here is myself and this pulpit and the things that are taking up this space. That's the only thing, saints. What happens then if we do this? Or what? What happens? What what have people done? What have they done? Is this? They have taken circumstances and they have added them and made them elements. They've they've given them religious, spiritual value when there is nothing inherently about these things that are spiritual, and there's nothing that we can do when we are in accordance with these things that give to them spiritual value? Nothing. I turn off the microphone, I can still preach the word of God, and hopefully the word of God will still penetrate into your hearts, minds, and souls. And likewise, saints, all the other things we say about the circumstances of worship, they all are to be in accordance with reason and with um, the common societies and practices of the day, but they don't have any religious value to them, all of that is to say, and I told, like I said earlier, it's very informative, just for you all. to be to be in the know. Um, why do we worship at 10 a.m.? Um, does God has for God prescribe what time we should worship? No, He hasn't, but this, it's a circumstance. But the things that we do, saints, are the things that God has commanded us to do in a worship service. And I, I hope um, that God looks down upon our worship based upon the elements that we. Um, Um, have at Reformation Bible Church, and he sees that our worship is acceptable uh, because we are doing things in accordance with his word. Let's pray.